0: You would take your Bibles with me, and I hope you do have them. We're going to be taking a bit of a trek today, but I'm turning to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 38. As we begin our journey this morning, considering um, the virgin uh, birth and the necessity and the importance of it, and as we now consider this wonderful work that God Himself has done to bring Himself into this world. In a very unnatural way, we give Him thanks and we focus this time upon the glory of Christ in these things. Now, here with me, uh, the reading of the Word of God from Luke 1, beginning at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Our gracious Father, how thankful we are for this tremendous work that you have done. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask now that the Spirit of God who has preserved this word and has inspired it, forever written as the word of God, would now illuminate it into our own minds and hearts that in the power through the preaching that you would manifest the glory of Christ and in the glory of God we pray that we might bask this hour. We pray that you would bring forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness in each of our lives and in this church as a whole. You would continue to grow us in the knowledge and grace of this Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our great High Priest, and the great King of all kings, in whose name we now pray. Amen. You may be seated. I did put this morning, because uh, I thought it would be helpful, uh, a handout. Some of you have that in your, in your liturgy, others do not. Uh, if you need a handout... Does anybody need a handout? I can get Jay to run you down one real quick. If you have a handout that would be helpful, uh, it's not necessary. I also did send it out on the email for those who are attending this at home, or you can look that up. Jay, I think we're good. This is going to be a bit of a, maybe a, a, a little heavier doctrinally, and therefore I felt like we needed some, uh, some helps to help train the thoughts here and follow the, the path. This is going to be somewhat of a Mother's Day uh, in honor of a mother, uh, or two, or, or or three, or four. And yet, at the same time, all the focus is upon Christ. All of the glory is upon God in the face of Jesus Christ. But as the application then comes, even the Scripture himself, uh, God would say that we are to honor our mothers. And as we've been tracing the narrative of the seed of the woman who would then crush the seed of the serpent, beginning in Genesis. We've been spending a a bit of our time there, but now I'm going to connect with a couple of narrative arcs that has taken place over thousands of years to come to something of two humanly impossible births. These impossible... Humanly speaking, births are not infrequent in Scripture as it begins to reveal the seed of the woman because it would be through this humanly impossible person that would then come, as we've already seen, both God and man, that the humanly impossible act of our redemption and our salvation would then come to be because it is God Himself who must save us. It is all of grace, not of works, lest any of us should boast. And these all play into a part of us seeing with greater clarity the glory of Jesus Christ. And as we behold him through the eyes of faith, we are changed into his likeness from a glory to glory. And I'm hoping this will be one of those little steps of glory this morning as we behold the virgin birth. We've already come through, in recent days, a couple of other impossible, humanly speaking, births, that of Sarah, again, that of Rebecca, and here we see another two impossible births with two women, Elizabeth, who was barren, conceived in her old age, echoing back to Sarah, again, who in her old age, and had been barren, also bore forth the covenant child in the lineage of that seed of which we now focus. But Mary also, here we see, was a virgin about to conceive of a child in her virginity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the children who would be born to these two women in these two supernatural births would be John the Baptist, the forerunner, and Jesus, the Savior. These two parallel births would usher in a new age that was dawning in the significance of which we often think too lightly of and we do not appreciate enough. Jesus was this long-awaited seed of the woman who would finally crush the serpent's head and reverse the effects of the curse. This was the cosmic war that began with the fall of man that then entered into the realm of this world And this war was now coming to its climactic battle where the outcome would then be decided. And that determining scene that would take place is when Jesus died upon the cross, settling that sin issue between fallen humanity and God himself. And then subsequently, three days later, be resurrected to show the victory over all of our enemies, including death itself. And at the very moment Jesus rose from the grave, there was a a major cataclysmic, tectonic, if you will, change that happened here upon the earth, the likes of which this earth has never been the same. This long prophesied new heavens and new earth, this new creation, it began on that day. Now, every problem we face as humans, every battle in which we must engage, and every trial in which we must persevere and endure, it all really will come back to this one place, the cross of Jesus. What happened there? What does that mean for you, and what does that mean for the world? The answer is there. And this was God's way to address all of the sin in the world, and it still is the only way to address the sin in this world. This Christmas season is a joyful time of the year, but Christ's birth must always be interpreted in light of his death and resurrection. It only has meaning and clarity as we see this whole life of Christ and what he really was born to do, to bring peace upon this earth, His shalom to our hearts, to bring us back into wholeness and completeness with God, our Creator, our Maker, and our Savior. So I want to consider the virgin birth this morning and why it was necessary and why it is important. Because this child who would be born from the Virgin Mary was the promise from the earliest time in history since man's fall, and now here he comes. This was no ordinary child. This was the long-promised, long-awaited seed of the woman. And with that in mind, I want us to trace out two narratives or two strands of narratives this morning to see, first of all, its necessity, and second of all, what it accomplished. I wanted to trace a third one, of which will be the entire message that will be forthcoming in a couple of weeks but we're just going to focus our time on those two this morning. This mysterious interaction here will begin to focus us where heaven and earth come together, where God's eternal covenant then comes into play in this history so that heaven and earth come together in this person, Jesus Christ, in whom we have our being. The first narrative arc that I would like for us to consider is the very necessity of the virgin birth. This necessity of the virgin birth was to bypass original sin, if I can say it that way. So let's unpack that truth. Original sin is that sinful nature that we inherit from Adam, from our covenant head, from the head of all of the human race. The Original sin was carried through by man. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Now, it's through the one man, Adam, that sin entered the world. It wasn't through the devil, it wasn't through the serpent, and it wasn't through the woman. It was through Adam as the covenant head of the human race that the sin was imputed to the entirety of the world, to all of the humans and even to creation itself. The sin of Adam affected all humans, but as he had the dominion over all of the world and that was given to him, and as the covenant head of, of this earthly domain, all of the world fell when Adam fell. That's why creation even now groans within itself waiting for its redemption as Christ returns. So as we think about this great cataclysmic fall, we're going to see the undoing of that in another cataclysmic restoration. And this is this fall is something that drastically affected humanity. If we then notice If you notice with me from Genesis chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, just turn briefly back there. As we consider this narrative arc. From the fall in Genesis 3, we began to see the seed of the serpent as it then progressed into civilization. And what the detriment from Genesis 4 to 11, we see the growth of this great Detriment to mankind because of this rebellion. And yet in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, we're reminded of something here that's important to us. Verse 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. And the day that God created man, He created him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. Then there was some time, including the fall, and then it says, verse 3, And Adam lived 130 years, and begot a son in his likeness after his image, and named him Seth. Now the image in the fall was still there, but it was greatly marred. The image of God in which we were created by by his own divine design in us is that which enables humans to do marvelous things. But now the, the faculties have all been marred and scarred so that we do not long after God. In fact, we are in rebellion against God. And as the, the, the image has been marred, and now we see the progeny and children of this marred Adam, it says, then he begot a son in his likeness and his image. That image of which then we all bear is a brokenness of the original image and it's marred and it's scarred and it's diseased and it's, and it's against the very purposes for which we were created. Children now born into Adam carry with him this original sin, this, this fallen, sinful nature that we inherit From Adam. And that's come down to every human being, without exception, through all of the ages, through the thousands of years, because Adam was the covenant head of the human race, all humans are affected. Now, God didn't give you an opportunity to say, Well, that's not fair, that's not how it works. The covenant relationship is we are all in this together, and in Adam we all fell, and in Adam we all die. But there's a blessing in this if we but hang on to it and cling to it, not in our individualism, but really embracing this covenantal framework in which God has established, because in Christ we will see a new covenant head that restores us from all, and it's not because you Can have anything to do with this or choose this or decided this because your covenant head has done it all. And because Adam is the covenant head of all the humanity, we are all affected by this fall. But how does that sinful nature then come down to us that we are all affected with it? There's a lot of debate about this. Theologians have considered this from a number of different angles including the origin of the human soul. One school of thought of this is the tradition view of the soul. Now, there's a couple of different views out there. How, where's the existence of the soul? Some say it was created at the very original creation, and that the souls of men have all been there, and then when they're conceived physically, then they were imparted into the physical, and that's one view called creationism. There's another view uh, here called Traditionism. Now, the Tradition thought or view of the soul states, and I believe I put this by definition on your paper, on your notes, it's a theological doctrine that human souls of new infants are generated from the souls of their parents at the moment of conception, much in the same manner of the generation of human bodies. Now, I think this has a lot of merit for it. If that view were true, the sinful nature that we inherit from Adam comes down through the progeny of man, not the woman, from male and not the female, from the covenant head of the human race, Adam. And while all the females are affected by the curse, and we all, both male and female, inherit this original sin, this sinful nature... It is through our fathers that this fall, this fallen disease has come to us. We have some analogies like this today. Um, I married into a family who has an uh, inherent genetic blood disorder or disease called hemophilia. Hemophilia, unfortunately, in our case, it's very light and we've not had any issues with it, but the women are the carriers of the disease. But they're not affected by its detriment. But they then have boys and have children. Their children, their male offspring, are the ones who are affected by this blood disorder. And if severe enough, it's one of these diseases that the blood does not coagulate and you can bleed to death. And so those who are severely affected have to be careful about their activities. The males, the females, no problem. Now, in a similar way, it is with original sin, this great human disease in which we all inherit, the males are the carriers of the disease of this sinful nature, but all of their offspring, males and females alike, are affected by its detrimental results. Now, if the tradition view of sin is correct, it supports all the more the necessity of Mary being a virgin, to give birth to Jesus. All the necessity of Jesus himself being virgin-born. If the females themselves are affected, but do not themselves propagate the original sin, then a conception of a child by a woman, not from fallen man, would be necessary to bring a child forth who was not tainted with Adam's original sin. And that would be absolutely critical in order for Jesus to be qualified as a mediator between sinful man and a pure, holy God. If in any way Jesus was born or touched or affected by original sin, it would disqualify him immediately from being our Savior. Jesus was born of a virgin so that his... Conception was not affected by original sin, this sinful nature from Adam that we all inherit. There was a discontinuation in this supernatural event. This virgin birth, this supernatural act of God, this miracle, if you will, is absolutely critical to believe as a core doctrinal truth to our faith. Our faith rests on a number of Core doctrinal truths that are unnatural to us to believe, but are absolutely necessary that we do. We must believe in the supernatural work of God in this world, both in the work for our salvation and in the work of our lives today. Because it is the essence of faith. Believing unbelievable truths, or the humanly impossible, is absolutely essential to us as Christians. For the just shall live by faith. Now, the Roman Catholic had a their church has a particular view of this, as they consider it. they call it the Immaculate Conception, I believe. Firmly that the Immaculate Conception is both unbiblical and it's quite unnecessary. Immaculate Conception teaches that the Virgin Mary was herself free from original sin. As one of their theologians puts it, quote, she was never subject to the curse and was together with her son the only partaker of perpetual benediction. Now this only... This not only goes beyond the scripture, it's theologically incorrect and it is also quite unnecessary. Mary was subject to death just like the rest of us, which is a part of the curse of humanity. The Catholic Church teaches that by the grace of God, quote, Mary remained free of every personal sin her whole life long. Now what that means is that she not only did not inherit original sin from Adam, but she herself never sinned. And if that were true, she would not need Jesus. But Mary needed a Savior just like the rest of us. It was necessary then in order for Jesus to be fully human, he had to be born of a woman Yet for him to be qualified to be our Savior, he had to be born without the inherited nature propagated down through the male progeny. So Jesus had no natural earthly father. Joseph was Jesus' covenantal earthly father, but not his natural Adamic father. Therefore, Scripture considers in the lineages of Christ, both from Mary's side as well as from Joseph's side. From Mary's side, his actual natural lineage, all the way back to the seed of the woman. And from his covenantal side, from Adam or from Joseph, that covenantal headship all the way back to Adam as well. To prove and to establish the fact that he was of the seed of the woman, of the seed of David, Of the tribe of Judah, so that all these prophecies could be confirmed and shown that this is the seed that was long awaited for. That lineage does not contain Adam's fallen, sinful nature. The narrative arc shows us the intricate and detailed plan of God from the very beginning. A plan that no man could have come up with, and if he did, even more so, he could not ensure its execution and its traceability through all the entirety of human history. This one fact alone is amazing, it is supernatural, and not to believe it takes more faith in something else than to believe the very truth itself. Now that brings us to a second truth of the virgin birth, and it reveals just how significant in history this was. And there's another narrative arc that we now consider. Because what the virgin birth accomplished is that it created a new humanity in a new creation. Now this was a work of God, and I want you to at least help trace this out with me to consider this because it is a significant event. This second strand of a narrative now traces the narrative arc from Adam and Eve all the way up into history to Christ and His church. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 states that the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, meaning Christ, became a life-giving being. Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, as well as does Romans 5, compares and contrasts the headship of Christ and Adam and compares the parallel between the two and, and then how these human, this human race has been affected by these two covenantal heads. I want to consider briefly some thoughts regarding the virgin birth of Jesus. Number one, the promise was that the seed of the woman would come to be the Savior and not the seed of man. Now this is interesting and it's actually quite exceptional as we trace this through the Bible because all through the Scripture, the seed promise is traced down through the lineages of the males because of this covenantal framework this headship doctrine. But when the seed himself finally did come, it was the seed of the Virgin Mary that would be the one. Therefore, identifying the seed of the woman back in Genesis three fifteen and 16 with Mary herself. This virgin birth would place Jesus then outside of the covenant headship of Adam himself. And that's important. And number two, original humanity came to us from two origins. There was an earthly origin and a heavenly origin. And our original creation, when God originally created us... In Genesis 1, Genesis 2, he created us from two origins, one being an earthly origin. So God then took dirt from the ground, from his creation, and then he formed that dust into a man, and then the heavenly origin. Then God himself breathed into the nostrils of man, and man became a living being. Adam was made from dirt earth, that's the earthy, but he was quickened with the breath of God. The Holy Spirit then breathed into life, earth and heaven. And we have this earthly body and this heavenly spirit created in the image of God. Now, Eve also was made with these two origins when she was taken from the flesh of Adam and then God himself breathed into her the breath of life. She too was made in the image of God. And then God brings Eve to Adam. And the two of them in the image of God, the two join together and the two become one flesh. From that point forward, all humans came from the existence of this one union. That is, until Jesus The body of Jesus was then made from the woman and from the Holy Spirit. So like Adam, created from an earthly substance, but made alive through the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And yet, unlike Adam, Jesus' humanity was not from the dirt, but it was from the woman. So now we have a new Adam standing outside of the covenant headship of the fallen Adam, no longer in the succession of original sin. He stands outside of that, not affected or tainted, but fully human and also fully God, qualified to be our mediator, qualified to be our Savior. Now, like Eve was created from the side of Adam, and so... The new Eve, the church, the bride of Christ, was created out of the side of the new Adam. The spear that wounded or finished or verified the death of Jesus where water and blood flow from his side is the very essence of which the new bride, the new Eve, the church was made. Created with water and blood from Jesus' side, born of the Spirit of God, we become a new humanity under a new head, Jesus. The linear progression of the narrative looks something like this. I put that actually out on your notes. At the beginning, you have creation, and God creates dirt. And then at the very climax of His creation, He then creates Adam, the body of which came from the dirt. But the Spirit from heaven comes from God, and man becomes a living being. Then Eve was formed of the earthly substance from her husband's side, and then the Spirit of God, the heavenly origin, gives her life and brings the two together. The two become one flesh, animated by the Holy Spirit, and good fellowship with God, their Creator. And then, the fall. This first took place in the spiritual death with the loss of fellowship with God because of the loss of the Spirit within them. And then that would go on and follow. The physical death would come later. All of these have become our enemies. Loss of our fellowship with our Creator, death itself, a separation from our God, uh, the the, the image that has been marred, the very original intent for which we were created is, is lost. But God did a gracious thing, even in the curse of the serpent, when He said that it would be the seed of the woman that would bring the utter destruction of the seed of the serpent which brought the destruction. And so we have the Virgin Mary who was the woman. And the seed born to her was Jesus. And His body came from the woman and He was animated by the Holy Spirit in the very conception this was true, prophesied here by the angel in Luke. Luke which was a fulfillment of the prophecy given by Isaiah. The body was made of an earthly creation, woman. Like the original Adam, he was animated with the Holy Spirit, but now he does not have the fallenness of this Adam. So he now stands as the perfect image of God. Standing outside of the covenant headship of of Adam, Jesus becomes the new Adam. He becomes the last Adam. And from Jesus' side, His church is now created. This new Eve. Having the body outside of the headship of the old Adam under the new head who is Christ. And from this couple, this new couple, Jesus, and the church, the new creation commences. Ephesians, Ephesians 1 says, And He has put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The church is under a new headship now. And not just a covenantal headship, but also in a, in a natural Spiritual union with Christ Himself, no longer under Adam. She is a new creation. So much so that Ephesians 5 speaks and oftentimes people confuse this thinking about this is just talking about husbands and wives, referring back to Genesis chapter 2 when the first marriage took place. But he's actually showing something much more transcendent than that. He says, for we are members of his body and flesh of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak to you about Christ in the church. Not merely about physical husbands and wives. Flesh and blood united together. The two become one flesh, united in spirit for a new humanity, a new creation, this new couple, this new Adam, this new Eve. Christ in His church stands now at the head of a new humanity and the head of a new creation. And for us to realize the blessings of this new world and our new humanity, a significant transformation must occur. Again, something supernatural must happen. Another act of God must now come and touch our personal, individual lives. Jesus' virgin birth is directly related to the necessity of Him telling each one of us, ye must be born again. You must be born from above born of the Holy Spirit, in order to enter into this new family, into this new bride, united with her husband, into this new creation, out from under the old Adam, you must be born again. This new birth, like Jesus' virgin birth, is a supernatural work of God in the Holy Spirit and is absolutely essential to remove us from the headship of Adam and place us into a new headship with Christ. Once again, two supernatural births must take place in your life for you to be saved. Number one, the virgin birth of Christ. And number two, your own new birth birth through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That statement alone is a very weighty and a very important statement for us all to grapple with. And when that new birth happens, it is a supernatural work of God It brings forth a saving faith in Jesus and all that he is and all that he has done. And it places you into a different family. You're under a new head in a different world, a new creation. It places us into a union with Jesus where together we have a heavenly citizenship and an earthly abode, but we are no longer of this world, even while we live in it. And that's a profound, deep truth that has many implications to how we live out our lives. So this Christmas season, do not rest your soul until you know that you have been born again. I want to give one last concluding application because I want to honor two women in my life. While Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary, Mary was not immaculate. However, she does play a very special role and has a very special place in the entire redemption of the human race. All generations, the scripture says, and the will of God is, will call her blessed. While Mary is not to be worshipped as God, she is certainly to be honored And I think Protestants may have steered a little too far in the other direction and not acknowledging Mary as anything special and their reaction against the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church and this whole view of Immaculate conception, Conception, which would then come in a later time. So this morning I want to acknowledge and I want to honor Mary I want to acknowledge this highly favored one of God, of which all generations said we'll call her blessed. And I thank God for choosing a a broken vessel into which he has poured his eternal blessings, of which we now have all been recipients of much of God's favor. So let's honor our mother in that sense. At the same time, we have another supernatural work of God and another woman. We have a new mother. And the church that gets treated so poorly with so much disrespect it has a low view, but even her own members today reflects how poorly we think of Christ himself. And I want to honor my heavenly mother, the church, all to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. But because we honor her, we honor him. And if we do not honor her, we do not honor him. And the way we speak about her, he himself receives it. Just ask Saul on the road to Damascus when God, when Christ himself says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So we need to honor our heavenly mother, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We need to be careful to honor these special women in our lives because they both reflect upon Christ Himself. They both reflect upon a very supernatural work that God has done. But the focus, of course, goes upon Christ. This horizontal way in which we honor and love one another has a view with the way that we honor Him. And love God. For you cannot love God who you do not see, and if you do not love your neighbor who you do see. And so that horizontal relationship has everything to do with the way we view our vertical relationship. So let's this season renew our faith and these supernatural births that God has brought forth the birth of Jesus, conceived in the Holy Spirit, and our own new birth that He has given to us by the Holy Spirit, uniting us together with Christ. And as an application, be mindful of these honored mothers that the Scripture itself honors, not to be worshiped, but to give respect where respect is due, to the glory of Christ and to the honor of God the Father. Let us praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, how thankful we are for this great work that you brought forth throughout all of history where the seed of the woman, Christ himself, was born, born of a woman, born under the law, to fulfill all that our first Adam and all men since have failed to do, and yet he, by his obedience, we are made righteous. We are thankful that Our sins have been imputed to him and he has settled all of those matters upon the cross and his perfect righteousness has now been imputed to us whereby we are accepted in your sight, joined together with your church, united together with Christ our Savior. We have a heavenly citizenship even while we dwell in our earthly abode. Father, we long for the time when heaven comes down, when Christ returns and the two, heaven and earth, are joined together with the focal point of the temple where God and Christ are the temple. This restored Eden, this elevated, this glorified life of which we all have our hope will certainly come to pass. May there not be a single one here this morning who misses it by not being born again. So we ask the Spirit of God to do that supernatural work that only He can do and apply the truth of Christ's resurrection to his or her life, that this Christmas season we might know the joy and the peace of God Himself in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.